This episode contains candid discussions surrounding sexual assault and the sexual assault of a minor. Listener discretion is advised. Well. <laughs> well. I guess it must be pretty late and, and you're tired. Even the hot tamale man has deserted the street and he hangs on till the end. <laughs> How will you get home? Uh, I'll walk over to Bourbon and catch an owl car. <laughs> Is that streetcar named Desire still grinding along the tracks at this hour? I'm afraid you haven't gotten much fun out of this evening, Blanche. I spoiled it for you. No, no you didn't. Uh, but I felt all the time that I wasn't giving you much entertainment. I simply couldn't rise to the occasion, that was all. I don't think I've ever tried so hard to be gay and made such a dismal mess of it. I get ten points for trying. I did try. Why did you try if you didn't feel like it, Blanche? I was just obeying the law of nature. Which law is that? The one that says the lady must entertain the gentleman, or no dice. See if you can locate my door key in this purse. When I'm so tired, my fingers are all thumbs. Uh, this it? Oh, no, honey, that's the key to my trunk, which I must soon be packing. You mean you're leaving here soon? I've outstayed my welcome. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. The plane's a thing. What? What? Hi. What? Hello. Hello. Hi, friends. You know what we should do, guys? Because um, I've been like, all over... Um, these cool playlists on Spotify that people are doing, like uh, James Gunn's got like like eight fantastic fucking cool uh, playlists, and Edgar Wright did his did two fifty song playlists of his best his favorite songs from last year. Wow! And we should just do a theater theater like because like you know we can it could just be come sail away like nine <laughs> versions of come right. sail away but you know but there's a lot of cool stuff that we've sung on here and right that's uh, true we could just put everything that's ever been sung at the end of an episode or <laughs> or uh, you know the Mr Belvedere theme song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course the new kids on the block song the the right stuff. Or maybe just the Weird Owl, um, the white Both. stuff. But we Both. have so much like from Tommy and High School Musical, and yeah. Showman and South Park. Like we could, we could really put together. Maybe I'll start working on that. Maybe I'll be a little sub project for Scott while you That'd guys be fun. while you guys work fun. jobs. <laughs> Although I might, I might have something really cool coming. Oh, Ooh. keep fingers keep crossed. keep fingers crossed. And can you tell us on the pod, or is it a uh, no, I don't you know what spot? I just don't want to jinx it. I just don't want to jinx it because it okay. could be it could be cool and um we're crossing our our dicks for you yeah 
you know. I should Thank bring you. up. We haven't. I should have this on the last episode and maybe every episode. This is a very vulgar podcast. We do. We, we go all the way. We yeah. Do. We do. But we also know when to, you know, show respect to things that might be triggering or might be. Um, uh, uh, of course, I'm sure we've triggered some people with some sure. of the that. But I, I mean, I, we're also dealing with, you know, a lot of adult intense material. Right. Know? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, so we apologies. We do reference semen a lot we reference butts and mouths and how they are the same thing we right. didn't say that on the last episode we didn't um, need to it was assumed <laughs> we've talked do. a lot uh, we've talked a lot about cj's chain smoking whoredom yes yeah. yes you know i mean it's la and quarantine has done some interesting shit to me we've talked Self, a lot self-proclaimed whoredom by the way we yeah no no oh yeah oh yeah everybody. we're not calling no no yeah. uh, cj would... likes it yeah <laughs> She do. She do. <laughs> do. I'm, I'm thrilled for um, her. And on that note, uh, welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater people made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. And I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights. And this week we have our part two of the miniseries covering the works of Tennessee Williams, Cast on a Pod, Tin Roof. Cast yes. on a Pod, Tin Roof. Cast Which now I can't, I can't say the play name <laughs> without, doing without saying it wrong now. I, I actually was like, I mentioned it to somebody the other day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I finally got to watch Cast on the Pod, Tin Roof. And they went, what is that? What and I was like, oh, no, I meant. I typed it into my phone, and it, it autocorrected to Cat on a Hot Tub Roof. Hot tub roof. Well, that's <laughs> that's the sequel, and it is uh, it's actually directly linked to the hot tub time machine uh, franchise. Yeah, it's in the that should be an N stuff. N stuff. <laughs> the trilogy. Well, it's the HTTMCU. Yes. <laughs> the hot tub time machine cinematic universe. Uh, what the fuck? Anyway, we picked up last last time we we're in a we're in a good mood. Um, last time we were discussing Sweet Bird of Youth, and I want to jump right into that. But before we do that, can I read? Can I read a quote from a book that I'm uh, I picked up today at a bookstore? Yes. Okay. It has nothing to do with anything. But last episode we talked about Beckett a little bit. So I wanted to read this. This is from Anamkara, a book of Celtic wisdom by John Donahue. Interesting. Right on. And uh, at the end, he describes going to see a play. And I, it's waiting for Godot. And he says, describing the experience to my friend, I said, it was the strangest play I have ever seen in my life. Seemingly, the fellow who was to play the main part never turned up, and the actors were forced to improvise all night. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when you think about it, I feel right. like Beckett would be like, yes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm in. That's I'm pretty in. good. That's <laughs> a great way of seeing it. It does seem like two people being like, shit, he's not here. I guess we have to like just make shit up until he walks on. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. I've never thought that's a about way to, it. That that's way. a way to play it. That's a yeah. way to direct it or play it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so fun. Well, it, we have I a mean, project now. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I would ever direct that show fully that way, but I think to start it off, at least, it's a nice, like, kicker. That's, that's great. Anyway. I, you know, yeah. I, I've always loved 
uh, they walk off stage to actually check the wing. Like, is he coming? Like, <laughs> That's good. They say I'm, a line like really loud, like my foot is hurting. <laughs> nope, he's not coming. All right. I saw a production here in LA a few few years back. It was they had these humongous just spaces in there. Yeah, and, and most of the time you see it, people try and drive it, which is probably a wise choice. But these guys just found stuff in the air, like just these awkward, just just gaps in, in between di- in, in between lines of dialogue, and it was just like, and they were so awkward and and awesome that it was. But just that's amazing. what makes Annie Baker's The Flick so great. I feel yeah, like. yeah, yeah. So it, it works for me. Sometimes. It's a similar kind of vibe. I think you, yeah. Can, compare those two an end yeah. game needs to be done that way too end game should feel mm. very mm-hmm. long and awkward and mm-hmm. drawn and i in my opinion and you know to each their own when they direct these plays but that's how, how i make love long, same long and awkward long and hard and, and awkward, awkward. <laughs> anybody wants to gaping these days <laughs> yeah i will say i um not just these days <laughs> all days uh i will say as we have learned from these plays that we've been reading uh everyone's always wanted to fuck always mm-hmm. yes uh, yes um sweet bird of youth is something we we picked up a little bit talking about it uh it's his what year 59 59 yeah it's his 59 play um, It'd be totally awesome different... if it was sixty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a very, a very different time from Streetcar, though. We should say, <laughs> yes, for uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that plays into this why this feels like a little bit more um, uh, woke is not the word I would use, but a little less, a little bit more aware. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it demonizes the women less. Mm-hmm. than some mm-hmm. of his earlier stuff. Um, demonizes isn't the word. I don't feel like Blanche no, is demonized, I think, but no. she's annoying. She's not right. a... It, you know. What? It, Laura? Is that who you says? Oh, Laura too, but like Blanche or Stella. Yeah, but I think Blanche, I think he I think he comes at her with a lot of love and sympathy. I think that what he's portraying is what he sees as a woman under tremendous amount of social pressure personal pressure agreed i don't i uh but even outside of character just thematically i think he's he's more aware that's the best way and i think the cool thing in sweet bird youth is that he's turning it a little bit on its head it's the older woman with the younger man and you know at the end she she gets to go and and have her success and go fuck off and dump him yeah Uh, and that's kind of cool um i like that twist but yeah i mean i think that there's definitely a maturing and an evolution that he he's going through i i don't know it's hard to tell because i think at some point he becomes um stymied in his personal development obviously mm-hmm. because of drug and alcohol use and, and the damage that he has you know arthur miller said that he's he's screaming pain he's he's an artist that writes from from pain right um and so yeah, I'm babbling. Absolutely, you are. No, you're a babbling brook, and we love you. Um, <laughs> uh, CJ, what yes. were your thoughts on Sweet Bird of Youth? Had you read this? You hadn't read this. No, yeah. well, and I knew nothing about it going into it. I didn't even look up like a plot summary or anything. Yeah. And in the beginning, as I was reading that first scene, um, it it didn't register to me who she was, that she was some big like movie star. And for a second, I was like, 
are we reading a scene where they met in a bar and he took her home and oh. had sex with her even though she was super drunk and then she wakes up the next morning and she was like i don't remember any of that oh right oh wow um, yeah so like for me it was almost because because then also i i thought like is this going to be one of those run one room plays like cat on a hot tin roof right mm-hmm. um and so then for me there was a power switch in the play cuz in the beginning it felt like chance was in charge and i was wondering if he was the antagonist and then he is clearly not as right. as you meet other characters right oh i didn't think he was in charge i think where i started to get into it and try and and calibrate what was going on was as he's trying to fetch her oxygen mask and get her (laughs) pills and and and, oh your your glasses are broken why are my glasses broken right (laughs) like it's 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 the dotingness that that starts to seep in that he's serving her he's trying to serve her but he's not doing it in a nice way way he's not doing no, it out he's of using her he's tell I mean, he yeah. resents I mean, the fuck out of her the whole time well, they both are people using each other they're right. using each other exactly that's why it, that's perfect way of saying it because it's like she's really just wanting someone to dote she just wants the person like you just said like she just wants somebody to love her he wants to use her status Mm-hmm. And so, of course, there's no true love there. There's right. no, you know, well, which is why the does... ending is so great for her, you know. But I mean, I also love the up and down of her character. She's my favorite character in the play. I mean, yeah, I love this play. But I mean, there was the up and down because I can't remember exactly which scene it was. But it is at the end of the scene where he's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And she's like, but I love you. Like her whole thing of like, she thinks she's ruined maybe I can get this young guy to love me and I can, again, snatching back like her youth and her beauty. And then as soon as the carrot is dangled elsewhere, she's like, bye. I, her whole, her whole like path was delightful. I thought mm-hmm. it's almost like, up. it's almost like her youth is a bird that is sweet. <gasps> what? What? And she is wants to, is that why they called this play? And she wants to get back to that. <laughs> Find a way back to then. That's from the title of the show. Um, that song makes me cry. Um, so, okay. I love this play. I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I was going into it thinking, okay, lame. One of his plays I haven't heard of. Uh, mm-hmm. This is going to be boring. We'll get it's... to rankings later, but I liked this way more than I thought I would, y'all. Same. Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, I I think that was, again, we, we talked about it in the first part that... You know, Tennessee Williams fell into this place that Arthur Miller did for me, um, that Chekhov did in terms of playwrights that we've covered, where it's like, yeah, 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 they're great, whatever. And then you go back. I mean, we all sort of had a catharsis with Arthur Miller and just kind of going, Mm -hmm. holy Jesus, like this dude Mm -hmm. was hot. And it's the same with, with Williams. I think he he just had his finger on a pulse and a, a specific pulse and a specific underbelly of America, specifically America. I think that that's why, especially the British love doing Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Mm. A, it gets to, they get to do cool accents, you know, for, for sure. a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. just yeah. like to do a, a good Southern accent goes a long way, but it, it, it's also identifiable with America and the way the characters talk to each other is specifically American. And then his voice layered on top of it, which I didn't find a distraction. There's sometimes where 
a, a playwright will try and use language and then it becomes this poetry that becomes a distraction from the reality or the tone of the sh of the play mm -hmm. and i didn't find that with this i i loved i got all the themes in sweet bird of youth mm -hmm. uh, i love that the deny there's escapism and denial in it bet especially between uh, chance and, and the princess that they are trying to avoid talking about their actual true condition and their true state absolutely and yes. isn't that like i mean that's life isn't it how many mm -hmm. times a day where i'm like denying you know denying that i need to diet or you know work out or whatever it might be yeah absolutely mm -hmm. we had talked in the first part about boss finley and mm. uh that he he's got that moment where he he specifically is sort of talking about racial purity Oof. and that purity becomes this motif. He, the The idea of heavenly heavenly's purity was taken away from her on top of the, the horrific, you know, medical condition that, you know, happens to her. Uh, and that, that that's his rage as the antagonist, why he's so focused on chance who isn't, a protagonist who's i mean i guess but he's not it's, the, it's the same not... as it's all of them right it's Blanche, right it's 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 uh shannon in night mm -hmm. of the iguana it's mm -hmm. we're never really presented a protagonist right mm -hmm. we're, we're told a story about somebody mm -hmm. and he again he's speaking for those people who don't really always get humanity told about them because we know things about them that are terrible or because they are these like sad solitary characters whatever it may be he's giving a humanity to people rather than actually trying to make a hero out of them and right. that's different and i think that's why these plays also are easily debated which mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about last time but i think it's easy to like really love a character as an actor or an artist mm -hmm. um, or like see a production that blows you away and you're like, well, that character is amazing. But then someone says like, but you see why that's not, that that's such a horrible person. And it's like, well, no, because I enjoyed that performance. We have to sort of um, right. yeah. uh, separate the two, Yeah, you know, um, but this, this one uh, you can feel Williams tapping into some new things here and if, if we're going to talk about evolution right this is 10 years later from streetcar and he's starting to play with form in a different way mm -hmm. right uh even just very different from cat from cat yeah. on a hot tin roof like mm -hmm. it which feels more streetcar-y but then this has the family dynamic and the boss big daddy kind of mm -hmm. presence there but it's feels form formulaically totally different mm -hmm. um, right. which I, think I can he, appreciate about him yeah i wonder how you, uh, I, we've read about i've read about some of the development of some of his shows and i don't know much about the development of this show but it does feel like it is very keenly aware of its modernity or it's it's you know where it's at in its time and place yeah Mm -hmm. You know, streetcar is specifically kind of caught between two worlds. Uh, and he's sure. talking about that. And this one, he's kind of like, he's not doing, 
Blanche is stuck in another thing. She's resisting the change that that's not so much the case with either of these characters, certainly not with princess, which is kind of, I was kind of looking for it as I was reading it. I'm like, Oh, is she, how close is she to Blanche? But she's not, she's he, not, he, uh, the women's roles are also different. And I th- also think that he's, he's almost more the Blanche. If anything, he's mm, the quote unquote, mm, I mean, mm-hmm. not really. Cause he's not the outsider coming into, he's the, he's sort of the outsider cause he's been gone, but, mm-hmm. but she is still the outsider coming in, which is always a, sort of a dynamic in, in um, Williams plays, but he fulfills more of that Blanche character that it's his story. Mm-hmm. Right, would, and he's, it's his neuroses that's yeah. kind of fueling it more than than princesses is. Right. I mean, she's got her fragility as well, but it's it's different. And Maggie the cat is also, I think, is the is yes. the third one right. of that yeah. trilogy. Right. 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 Um, whereas, and I don't think, um, what's his name in in Cat on a Hot Tim? Brick. 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 I yeah. don't think Brick Brick, Brick is is a Stanley. I don't think you can really analog Stanley in all of them. No, but yeah. I think you can kind of analog Blanche in all of them. In a in a way, Williams puts himself into that person more than anyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Why those are the characters that were like holy. And Shannon is the other one, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but it's that. That's my argument. I don't know. Yeah. No. I I agree. I agree. With I enjoy uh, of the two main ones we've discussed how. Williams highlights like time-honored Southern traditions, like mm. a lady never leaves the house or talks to men without a full face of makeup on, mm-hmm. or or listening and submitting to your husband. And this one to me was the prizing of virginity and purity, and then also the time-honored tradition of like old white men grasping onto power for dear fucking life. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, yep. Yep. You got it. And, you know, Boss Finley especially is, you know, that is in... What a juicy part. It's a juicy fucking part, but it's also, uh, like Stanley, it's, it's, it's toxic masculinity. It's the right. definition of toxic masculinity and that same white power not white power but white but kind power of structure for well, sure in this one and, and for this one for sure um that you know we're still dealing with today you know lindsey right. graham is a fucking tennessee williams character if ever he there is. was a oh my god yes. <laughs> and you know at the time there might have been people in the audience who agreed with boss finley of oh, course. Sure. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And, that, and I mean, now even, I, I, I shouldn't say at the time. I yeah. shouldn't say at the yeah. time. But my point is more so even in New York in a Broadway theater, there might have been, it might have been 50% people <sighs> that felt that way, right? And that's the fact that, yeah, you can you could set this now and people wouldn't actually bat an eye. Right. They'd be like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. sure. Okay, so they're white nationalists. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. just how you would see them, you know, like. I do white nationalists just don't wear white linen suits and bolo ties anymore. Right, exactly. Right, hundred percent. And the fact, well, the fact, Colonel, (laughs) the fact that he even mentions integration. You know that the 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 boss Finley is against integration. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, that is he. There's in the same speech where he's trying to tell people he's not a racist and he exactly. had nothing to do with exactly. the castration well and that was i mean that was the that that in, and it still is 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 a it's lot the of line. 
logic uh, argument that is put into place is like, well, yes. we just shouldn't live together, but they're not lesser than us. I'm like, what the fuck? You're right. separate but equal, you know, is, mm -hmm. is and it, it's the great, it was a great lie. But the fact that you, Tennessee Williams is often, you know, people often say, well, he wasn't very political or, or socially charged. And I'm like, I disagree completely. I think, yeah. He, and I think that, you know, 10 years previously, I don't think he would be talking about integration uh, in the same way that he uses it to make this guy bad, even yeah. worse than he is. I mean, the the mere fact that he's, you know, you know, flexing his muscles throughout this whole thing and, you know, going after Chance the way he is mm -hmm. uh, and threatening his manhood, like literally threatening his manhood. I don't think he would have done that ten, 10 years earlier. I think that's part of the evolution. For so sure. Chance's goal, I you know, I I think if correct me if I'm wrong, Chance's goal in doing all this and coming back to town and bringing Princess with him and all of this. This is him coming back to show, to prove that he's done something that he's made a name for himself, but also to come back and get heavenly. Yep. It's it is his driving thing. It is his, you know, his in acting terms, his his you know master objective. His super objective. His super and objective is to right and is to get heavenly back. Is yeah. married to or engaged to? Uh, she's married to George Scudder, who is the man who botched her her venereal disease removal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's a weird, interesting Williams theatrical irony. Yeah. Well, that and I it, live for. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so great. And and the other thing I love about Williams is like he drops the shit right at the top. Yeah. Like within it's the first thing we see is Scudder come in and go, you, you get the fuck out. I heard yeah. you were here. We heard you're back in town. Get the fuck out. Yeah. I don't want you here. And this is why. Um, it's Williams way of heating smack in a spoon. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. The, uh, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I think that Chance wants Heavenly. My question is, do, do we think that he wants Heavenly because he truly loves her or because he wants to show everybody? There's this whole thing of him coming back into town and he wants it's... to show everybody he's this thing. I do. Th part of me thinks that he does sincerely love her or at least the idea of her or at least. It's an idealistic idea. thing. Yeah. It's a nostalgic idealism. Right. Mm. It's this thing that I actually think I have sometimes for a lot of uh, things in Wichita, Kansas or people in Wichita, Kansas, where I'm like, yeah, they were the greatest. We had the greatest times. And then you talk to them again and you're like. Oh, are you the most boring person ever? Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but in my head, I'd rather remember those great times, right? Or like the great things about the place or, you know, finding out statistics about a place after you leave it. And it's and you're like, oh, this place is horrible. And I had no idea there was this whole underbelly of of trafficking and, and drug rings and like whatever. But I which drugs are great. I don't know why I said drug, drug rings. There should be drug rings everywhere. <laughs> make, make drug make drugs legal and then there won't. For Legalize some people, it. For some people, it's the only way to escape that little small. That's town true. Thing. Yeah, That's true. No, absolutely. So you you know, um, I feel that sometimes, and I think other people do too. And I think that's what he's feeling really deeply in this is that desire to go back, prove that you've done something, also mm -hmm. get the girl. It's just friends. Uh, it's the Ryan Reynolds, Amy Smart, Anna yeah, Faris. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just friends. Just friends, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is directed by somebody great. Like, 
I don't know. I don't know. Barry Sonnenfeld or somebody. Um, it's not. Um, so <laughs> I, um, I was just interested in the theme of obsession that he's obsessed with her. And this kind of goes back to what you were just saying, Bailey, that he's obsessed with an idealized version of her, a nostalgic version of, of mm-hmm. heavenly. And that, that blinds him. He's, he's blinded by that obsession and also this notion and it's a commentary we can still talk about today it's why it's still timely this uh, this sort of fixation on celebrity he thinks that mm. by being famous that he's going to get boss finley's blessing to marry her he's right. that kind of daft about it like and by the time you meet boss finley and you, like you're like there's you never were gonna, this was never gonna fucking happen you idiot yeah Right. Why were you even trying? And then why were you hanging on to Princess and, you know, putting her through her shit? I mean, they put each other through shit, to be fair. You're right. Obsession um, is not just a perfume. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Obsession. Um, also, just the peeling back of the, the curtain. His idealization mm. of celebrity and being rich and famous. And then you peel back the curtain and this woman is a fucking mess. Yeah. You know? Um, that like, you know, guess what? Money and fame doesn't make you happy. I mean, give me some more money and I would probably be happier, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I do. There's a movie of this that I haven't seen, but it's Paul Newman, Geraldine Page. It's the original Broadway cast. Yeah. Hmm. And apparently Marlon Brando threw himself into a room and said, I'm playing chance. And they said, no, we're, we're using he the would have been horrible at it. Like, it's oh, not, I'm playing yeah, chance. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. not a chance. No, Paul Newman is chance. Yeah, yes. totally. perfect. Yes. Who directed the film version? Yeah. Do you know? Kazan. Kazan. Oh, he did, did the film it. version too, huh? He did. I mean, he did the Broadway okay. version. He yeah. did, and he also did the film, which, you know, he also did the Broadway and film versions of Streetcar. It got three Academy Award nominations, and they were all acting. So it was Geraldine Page for Best Actress, Shirley Knight for Best Supporting, and Ed Begley... Oh, that's right. He wins. Supporting and he wins. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Bigley Senior, not Ed Bigley Senior. Senior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Junior was probably not born yet. No. He might (laughs) have been born. Yeah. He was born by then. Yeah. He was born by then. But definitely. uh, But he's he's a baby. Yeah. Because the, you know, and yeah, Paul Newman got, got, I mean, famously, Paul Newman didn't win an Oscar until the late 80s. He didn't win until The Color of Money. And Geraldine Page, similarly, was kind of screwed over for years and years and years until she finally won for uh, A Trip to Bountiful, which is an exquisite film performance. I've said it before on this pod. And one of my... I've never seen that one. Yeah, I need to check that uh, out. It's great. It's a a good play. I think it's a better film, actually. Um, I've never seen a production. I haven't read it either. I've read it. Uh, It's got the play on my bookshelf. It's it's great. It's great. There's also a made-for-TV movie version of this uh, that was in 1989. I brought it up on the last episode, but it was... Uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, who I don't know, and it was Elizabeth Taylor as Princess, and <laughs> a good choice. Been which is a great choice, and Mark Harmon as Chance, which actually weirdly back in my then, brain. back then, yeah, because he was, you know, yeah, he was pretty hot at the moment because he was on. Well, I mm. I just know him from uh, Summer School, the movie Summer School, where he's the teacher, the super hot gym yeah, teacher, oh, yeah, has yeah. to teach Summer School. 
Uh, love that movie. Um, but he, now he's on NCIS, which is a spinoff of JAG, which we have talked We've about. Talked about Tom many times. Scarrett. Tom Scarrett. <laughs> We've talked about that a hundred times. Um, anyway, so uh, 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 that movie I'm sure is fine. I haven't uh, seen it, but Rip Torn plays uh boss finley in it which is kind of cool all right after originating the role of tom when he was younger uh so the ending we should talk about the ending real quick because so the thugs off stage obviously uh jump chance Mm -hmm. boss finley sends them and uh they castrate him Mm -hmm. or that's what's that's implied uh, alluded to which it also then implies that boss finley did have it did send his thugs to kill the black man who they had been trying to prove they weren't uh, mm-hmm. a part of. Um, so uh, talk to me about that. Cause the movie apparently cuts that out and they just get, I don't up. recall. It's been so long since I've seen it. It, I rem- So I think it's interesting that chance opts to stay and then he gets jumped. He opts to right. stay in town. After he kind of gives up. I felt like. Yeah, he's yeah, he's defeated. I I think. This and, is my fate. I right. might as well just right lay down and die. I mean, I think that there's obviously you know prof- profundity in the symbolism that they're going to literally take his manhood and take the only thing that that's kept him going that that he survived on. Right. Uh, it, it's it's harsh. It's brutal. Um, but I think that it's what has kept it alive and why people keep talking about. I this was this was my favorite one. I mean, I'll repeat it again. At You're the not end. supposed to see it. <laughs> but um, I like I sat down and read this play in one sitting, and just I I think it I read it to, it was till like two in the morning, which is pretty late for me. But I just enjoyed the fuck out of it. Can I be straight up? I uh I read this play this morning. I put it off. That's me and Night of the Iguana too. Well, I read Night of the Iguana first. I was really excited about it, and then I watched the movie, and then I uh, reread Streetcar, watched a bit of the movie. I kind of clicked through it. I don't and like played Switch while I watched it. So uh, (laughs) I like half watched it because I had seen it, and I was like, great. Um, But then with this one, I was sort of like, "Ah, ah," and I know it was my pick, but I was like, I don't. It doesn't sound interesting to me. Like, right. I, it, like I read, I, I think I had read the plot. I don't remember, but I was just like, eh. But then I was like, okay, I need to just sit it, sit down, read it, uh, before work. It was, uh, is also my favorite one, CJ. Uh, You're not yeah. supposed to say it. <laughs> I said it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts on this one, Scott. Uh, yeah, I think it, I, I loved it. I think it's compelling as shit. Um, I want to play Boss Finley one day. Uh, I think that would be fucking rad. Uh, there's one other thing I loved about this is that, so Chance ran away, right? That was sort of his, why you know, ran away from it all kind of thing. Tennessee Williams was known to just, like, split randomly. Oh, yeah. And his mm. agent couldn't find him. His friends couldn't find him. Like, he would yeah, just be yeah. gone. He would often just be, <laughs> I was in Key West. Yeah. yeah. I sent you 15 telegrams. I was in Key West. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the days when you could just fucking disappear. Well, he could. Yeah, right? I mean, he, he was pretty loaded, like, pretty early on. So, like, he'd have that Hollywood success. He called it, I forget what he 
he was like a bank account for him. Like he just made a shitload of money in Hollywood over a very short period of time. Uh-huh. And yeah. Then he became this famous Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, you know, two time Pulitzer Prize winner. Right. And, uh, it's like that scene in uh, Guys and Dolls when Sky takes her t- to Havana just like randomly. He's like, I know we're in New Rochelle, but let's go get on my plane and we'll go to Havana for the night. And you're just like, what? What? Yeah. Um, but that's what he would do. He would just go away. Uh, so why don't we hop into the next one? This yeah. was a Scott's pick. Scott, why don't you tell us what our next pick was in the year that it came out? Sure. Uh, night of the Iguana uh, hit Broadway in 1961. CJ, do you want to tell us a little bit about what, 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 break it down. Break it down, girl. CJ's Breakdown. Off-balanced and deministered minister, Larry Shannon, is a tour guide in Mexico, leading a group from the Baptist Women's College and can't help being a completely sexually abusive creep with Charlotte, the young niece of the group's leader, Mrs. Fellows. Fellows swears comeuppance, and Shannon strands the bus at a hotel to get help from the manager, Maxine. In one night, everything and alcoholic Shannon goes to shit. (laughs) Yup. Uh, I think there's a few interesting things to talk about here. Uh, first of all, this was based, he wrote this as a short story. Hmm. Then he wrote it as a one act play in 1959. Then he moved it into a full length play uh, over over two, the next two years. And then eventually it became a three act play. And I can feel that division in it. Hmm. Um, so I will say that it took me and I did it. I mean, I took a break, but it took me five hours to read this fucking play. Yeah. And, it, and it was, um, I, I was, I read slowly anyway to try to absorb, like, especially all, all of his descriptions and his stage direction sure. and all that, which is beautiful. But I did feel by the time it was over, I was like, oh, I can see where those seams are, especially the third act, which I think is amazing, but I'm, you're exhausted by the time you get to the third act yeah. where it's the, where the real meat and the real themes and stuff start to emerge. I would almost cut like the whole second act, honestly. Yeah. Like, well, I just was so bored through the like, whole Like, And I didn't act. understand the Germans. Uh, well, I have, they're supposed to be the comedic relief, right? So right. Nazi sympathizing German people who are uh, a comedic relief kind of moment, which are cut from the film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a good choice. Right. Um, because it's, it's, they're constantly singing these Nazi songs mm-hmm. and to fill the the air or whatever. And it, it is there purposefully to uh, constantly remind us that we are amidst World War II. Mm-hmm. But then at the like end, the they Blitzkrieg, go... Like the Blitzkrieg, right? Well, we're pre-World War II. We're, we're in, pre-World War II. But we're in like 38 or 30... The, the, the story is set in 38, 39. Got it, yeah. And, and so then yeah. to me, it's like... But then at the end of the play, I go, why? Right. <laughs> like it didn't, it didn't... To me, it didn't affect the play. Right. Yeah. I... Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, please. I... Actually, I'm kind of interested to sit here and listen to you guys talk about it because it took four sittings for me to get through this play. Mm -hmm. And then by the time, agreed, Bailey, on Act 2, by the time I got to Act 3, I was like kind of falling asleep reading it. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I caught, and I can't even fucking remember who said it in the script, but somebody makes a Hieronymus Bosch joke. Mm -hmm. Do you guys know who Hieronymus Bosch is? Yeah. 
he I can't remember when he was, but he was this painter that did these like hellscape scenes, and they were like oh sure pictures of be and they're grotesque and yeah. spooky, but you kind of can't stop staring at them because it's almost like a Where's Waldo picture. Yeah, and. There's something about this play, and maybe it was kind of finding out who Shannon was and what his past was, that it felt yucky and sticky to me. And so I kept the Hieronymus Bosch thing was constantly in my head, which then for me, it made the Nazis skipping around and having a good time. It made it fit, which just contributed more to like the yucky, like feeling of this play to me. It's actually interesting. I feel like you just kind of sold the play to me in a weird way (laughs) because now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, he's in hell. Mm. It felt like some Jeffrey Epstein shit, to be quite honest. Weirdly, all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, what if that's the take? That's a cool take. Mm. What if he's in a hellscape? Well, and it should be noted, too, I think he's he's getting very autobiographical. So after his after Rose gets gets his sister gets institutionalized and lobotomized, he starts getting very paranoid about his own mental state and whether or not he's going to fall into it. He's mm. worried that it's going to be a family thing. And then as his drug and uh, uh, well, his alcoholism and his his pill use continues, it gets worse and worse. He's eventually, his brother eventually institutionalizes him Wow! for, for a period of time. I think it's three months he spends in, I think this is in the seventies, early seventies that he gets put in, uh, in, into a hospital. So he's clearly working through his own demons. I mean, Shannon is a lot of him and I think he's, there's a lot of self-loathing going on there. Yes. Um, there's a lot of um, his mother, obviously Shannon. I think everything we know about Shannon is driven by his mother being overbearing that mm. uh, making him guilty about masturbation at a very, very young age. Right. And how that haunts him and drives what he does and created a lot of american serial killers (laughs) it has and even just on a more like minute note like like it's fucked up a lot of dudes like and women and women too i mean don't get me wrong it's it's all it's everyone i think it creates a collective trauma that actually adds to a lot of the problems that we see in toxic masculinity in uh, the inability for men to show uh, feeling and emotion or to open themselves up and that it's all connected. Mm-hmm. It's all super connected. And I think Tennessee Williams was aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw a lot of that. He knew that it was taking a toll on him based on that, based on mm-hmm. the fact that he w- he was able to connect the dots. I think a lot of people aren't. Right. right. And there's a pride to it, too, where it's like, this doesn't have anything to do with masturbation. What do you when I was a kid? It was fine. You know, it's like, no, you were you were forced to think and feel shame mm. because of something that is completely natural. You placing know, whatever. guilt, <laughs> placing guilt on a child. Yeah, is hugely traumatic. And even, right. and for something that is so uh, carnally programmed into you you know, play with you, Lit- yeah play with your downstairs parts like right <laughs> why, why did you play with but it's you know, you know it's hard for any parents to do it to to talk about it or to make sure that 
you know, their child knows that it's a healthy thing. It's Especially not a the dinner. Especially the older the generation. The older the generation. And, um, you know, the, and there's clearly a lot of repression going on. The themes right. of oppression and, and loneliness. Well, I mean, that Cat on those, a Hot Tin Roof is just oppression. Uh, oh, uh, repressed. Repressed oppression. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't think he's dealing with uh, sexual identity repression so much at, well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, so much as just the, the compounded repression with the loneliness and then the idea of, of faith and that he's, he, Shannon keeps trying to hold on to faith, or at least he defends that he's not atheistic. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not an atheist. I would never do that. Um, but, uh, and then having the the ministers in Tennessee Williams' personal life, his grandfather and then his great grandfather, uh, had to have just had a huge impact. He he clearly struggles a lot with religion. He's very aware of it. He clearly had to go to Sunday school a lot, mm -hmm. um, but obviously that's going to totally conflict with his sexuality in the South in the middle of the fucking century. So. You know where the hell does that that put you? And it, what it does is it creates a fucking horrible human being. And mm -hmm. it's the one thing that I will say in not justifying anything that Shannon does, but in justifying as an actor, at least approaching the characters, that he does give it to you pretty early on. That he is in his own world, that he's obsessed with his own thing, and that that's where your your jumping off point is. You know that in the first five pages. Mm -hmm. fuck, the, fuck the old ladies down on the bus. I'm going to hit in this hammock and figure yeah. out my problem, too. Also, I I, uh, I I had sex with a 16-year-old, and it the, the repercussions are not great. Right. Well, and, and, and isn't the, the idea that he may have even done something before that? At like, I oh, it's suggested what, that's that's why he's he done was it multiple, that, it, that he's done yeah, it yeah, right yeah. times, yeah. So he is like fully a statutory rapist beyond just having done it one time. Which, um, the play, which we'll talk about the movie because the movie handles this so poorly. It's a John Huston film. Um, it doesn't, it's, it's kind and of I love John Huston, but I don't think that, yeah. I don't think it was the right pairing of, no, of, and of it talents. has the same problem as the Lolita movie, the Kubrick Lolita movie, or even the one that they made in like the nineties with mm. Jeremy Irons, but which is weird. Cause that was played by Sue Lyon, who is, or Lyons, is it Lyons? Yeah, Sue Lyons. Who is, um, who plays Charlotte in this, in the movie. Oh, okay. And, uh and apparently her uh you know her fiance at the time was on set every day like making sure because she had a lot of trauma from lolita yeah and from the way that she was treated by the press afterwards Oof. and, and yeah. it was a really horrible situation for her um and so it's interesting that she plays another sort of young woman who ends up being sexualized but they present her in that movie and the the play doesn't as much uh but the I mean, you could direct it this way, but the movie presents her very much as like a coquettish, like going after him, seducing him. And mm -hmm. he's like, no, no, She's no. She's asking for it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And there's even a line which I didn't catch in the in the play. If it's in the play, I fully missed it. But in the movie, I was like fully taken aback by it. And it proves the difference, which is he says, yes, I, I, I 
committed statutory rape. And she says, what is statutory rape again? And he says, it's when a man is seduced by a woman under 20. Yes. No, that was in the, in the play. It That's is in the, the play. Yeah, I read okay, that and I was like, Somehow ugh. I skipped over that in the play uh-huh. because it didn't, for some reason it didn't register in the way that it did when I heard it out loud and I went, oh my God. Yeah. And I was like, did they add that to this movie? And I didn't even think to go back and check the script. But yeah, it's it's that's it. But that's also his thinking. And that's the Humbert Humbert way of thinking in Lolita, which Paula Vogel also tackles in a um, little bit. What mm-hmm. um, how I learned to drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that perspective and this play kind of does that same thing where we're all of a sudden we're kind of being shown the the, per, the perspective of a man who a is yucky a person horrible monster yeah mm-hmm. and we're seeing him be able to sort of state his case as a human uh-huh. and be a human and i don't know that we're supposed to like him i don't right. think by the end of it we're supposed to like him at all but it's a presentation of a person that he probably knew very well and also feels like probably in some ways mm-hmm. well this i hearing y'all talk about this is making me realize another underlying theme in all three of our deep dives has been the over the the sexualization of youth this sure. one with charlotte in um they there's that whole fucking monologue about how when he first has sex with heavenly when she's 15 right and, and they're both kids but the way he's talking about her body and stuff and then right. in streetcar it's it's the 17 year old kid that Blanches with. Right. I think that he's or the think, the boy that comes to the door that she asks to. Oh kiss. my god! Yes, that whole yeah. fucking yeah. scene. That yes. shit's crazy. We didn't yeah. even talk about that. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that he's he, without having the exact language that the way that we talk about it now. He's very much Williams is very much focused on this obsession of youth. I mean, that's a timeless thing, right? But that we. He's, I think, starting to recognize that there. We, I think, as a culture, at least in America and in England, Western world, starts recognizing uh, the significance and the damage that oversexualization of youth can do. Yeah. I don't think that he's he's quite got his finger on being woke about it, so to speak. Right. But he's he's talking about the obsession and every time that a character is obsessed with youth, whether it's their own or that of another person, they are destroyed by it. There is no healthy aging. There's no graceful aging that goes on here. And I think he's recognizing that damage. And he's also, we should say too, you know, he doesn't hit success until his mid thirties. So mm-hmm. by this sure. time, so we're in the 60s now. So he's in his 40s now. So he's starting to really be, and and he's a, a promiscuous man who's likes younger men, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that they're underage at all. I don't think that, that was ever an issue, but certainly, you know, men that were younger than him um, yeah. and that he's keenly aware of it. And the, I think that the difference between Iguana and like Streetcar so we're talking almost 15 years, I guess, in time, is that he's recognizing it in himself. He's starting to go, oh, I'm starting to become obsessed with youth mm-hmm. in a way that um, 
he he already observed in others but hadn't right. experienced himself i think that's why shannon well, it's is, the idealism of sweet bird that we right were right mm-hmm. and i think that's why shannon is distinctly a man in this and a heterosexual man in this that he's he's kind of trying to a different angle at that theme and it also distances him from williams in a way because he mm. I don't know if Williams had any controversy surrounding being with younger men that were no, I don't not think that, of age. No, I don't think that was ever right. At so least, I don't. At I, least it wasn't publicized at all. Right. It was always like twenty twenty somethings that they see. Right. Mm-hmm. He's using it in in a similar way that Nabokov uses it in Lolita, which is just to to fully go all the way as deep as you can into that person's psyche. Well, Lolita goes way further and is a little more. Uh, mm, hard to read Mm -hmm. uh you know but this one is it's it's not as uh what am i trying to say scott (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not as overt it's not as you know like you know nabokov and lolita is specifically the book lolita the the movies it's its own thing and there are things to like and not like about it but the kubrick one is 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 interesting and has its own sort of take but it's not perfect the the 1997 Jeremy Irons one is like horrific. It's it, it is lurid. Yeah, you know, yeah. In, a, in a different lurid. Yeah. It's lurid. Um, because, because, it's well, lewd also lewd and lurid. Lewd and lurid because yeah because the movie Lolita they're having to, to compact things or things they can't express. What he does so well in the book I think is he tries to present and he does present a reason why 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 he's becomes obsessed with her and then it's then he's given all these options to walk away he's given all these options to be a normal healthy person and he just doesn't do it he just dives in and deeper and deeper and deeper into his obsession because he can get away with it so by the end of it mm-hmm. you fucking you hate him you hate <laughs> you hate him because yeah. he's a, a monster um yeah and she she gets her kind of revenge on him and anyway we digress but he is the he is the blanche though i would argue in this one right he's oh, the for he's sure. the blanche he's the, he's the chance um the fish out of water and this sort of new place uh but i think it's hannah's story I agree. Uh, there's a, I'm still trying to figure out her story. Like I like Hannah a lot, and I like the sh- I like the grandfather stuff. The poet. He's the he's the oldest living practicing poet. poet. <laughs> it's a great it's a great character. I, yeah. And if it's pulled great off, great way to well, end the play too. Beautiful way to end the play. Yeah. There's a line that happens early on. Uh, I think it's Maxine's line, and that's another character. That's a yeah, fucking character. Maxine. That's a character for you in about fifteen years. Siege is Maxine because she's such that. a broad. She's a yeah. she's a great broad. I'm drinking my gin, and practicing she's, for and, it, and she's sad, you know. But Ava yeah, she, Gardner plays her in the movie. Yeah, she's great <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. Best eyebrows on the planet. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but she says he's cracked up, and he'll crack up again. And you know that very early on. That's from Act One. That mm-hmm. he's 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 in dealing with severe mental illness and trauma and repression and all of that gets stacked on top of each other. So I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to justify anything that Shannon does. It's merely understanding. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the the best part of this 
play for me is act three, which is clearly written right. separately from the rest where it's just him and Hannah for the most part having yeah. these huge dialogue and that's and it's lovely and beautifully written. Right. And there's also, there's moments where I kept being like, Oh, Hannah's just Blanche. She's just Blanche. But mm. then I kept going, no, she's absolutely not. She's Blanche. She's as, Blanche that has gone through therapy, or at least discovered a solution on her own. She's Blanche with a backbone. Blanche with a backbone. And acceptance. She's sort yeah. of accepted her aging. She's she's okay with it. She wasn't okay, and she tells you that she wasn't okay at one point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, she does her breathing. You know, she, they talk about the whole the Zen breathing She doesn't thing. use substances. She, she breathes. Yeah. Except she does drink opium tea she, at the end. She does drink sure. opium. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's poppy tea. It's light, <laughs> it's light opium. It's light opium. It's not proper. Diet opium tea. Yeah, no, shit. Uh, there's definitely some comedy in this one or at, attempts at it. Sometimes I was like, is this a farce? It gets a little silly sometimes, which is, you know, this play is different than his other ones, but it, it feels more realistic while also being farcical in nature in some way. Not farcical, because that's not right, but it's it's like... There's a, there's a farcical... Str- I, I wrote... I I thought I felt that it was wacky, that the structure yeah. was mm-hmm. wacky. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can see, that, like when I said earlier, you can see the seams of how he put it together. Right. And Williams is kind of known to have like a disconcerting sense of humor a mm-hmm. bit, right? And there's this story that, that sounds I about right. <laughs> have to tell on this podcast because yeah. it's absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, but apparently the night, the story goes that the night that he went to see Maggie Smith in Ingmar Bergman's 1970 production of Hedda Gabler at the National Theater, which sounds like a huge piece of I'm, history. I, I literally just got an erection. That's the <laughs> most exciting thing I've ever heard Wasn't in my that, life. Let That's me read insane. that sentence again. Maggie Smith in Ingmar Bergman's 1970 production of Hedda Gabler at the National Theater. <laughs> but so wow. Williams went to see it, and apparently he started cackling from the moment that Smith walked on stage <laughs> and to the b- amusement of cast and sure. crew um, and audience but he kept it up every time she was on stage through the whole show which is at a gabbler she's on stage the whole show. <laughs> and apparently he was like up front and was just cackling and he climaxed with an enormous roar at the offstage shot in the head <gasps> And apparently Smith asked him why afterwards, because he came up and was like, "You're ama- that was amazing. That was the best thing I've ever seen. Fuck. And she said, why did you laugh the whole time? And he replied in a southern drawl, that poor woman, she's just so bored, isn't she? <laughs> But that's it. Like I think he, I think he understands that in a way that Ibsen also understood it. Because isn't that the whole thing? Is that and Hedda Gabler isn't? She's clearly has these masculine tendencies. She wants to shoot guns. She wants to be out there. And all right. the conditions of society say no. You absolutely fucking cannot. And and his, his friends who tell that story, his friends who tell that story, uh, whoever told this story specifically, uh, said. I think Ibsen would have absolutely approved of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. That but Maggie Smith apparently was like. <laughs> of course. Of course. If, if you're on stage and you're doing that. Why were you laughing? Yeah. I mean. Laughing at me. Because you have. Like, I mean, I think Tennessee. I'm the head of Transfiguration at Hogwarts. 
think and Mother you... Superior in Sister Act 1 and 2 back and in the house. <laughs> uh, uh, California Sweet. Simon back in the day. But Aww, I think yeah. she's great with her and David Niven like playing tennis, like just playing back and forth is so good. Maggie Smith is the definition of when is she bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Ever. Ever. But I think Hook. that I think that that's an example. <laughs> Classic. Um, don't don't get me started. She's Why are so you, good. You're, she's you're, windy. CJ, you're being provocative. You're trying to push my buttons. You knew what I would. What provocative. I would. She's also great going. in Downton Abbey too. She's, great she's delightful. Everything. She's just amazing. Best but what exotic I was going to say. Hotel. Second best exotic marigold. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, Tennessee Williams would laugh at that. Like that, you, you get to a point where things are so fucking tragic that you yeah. just have to laugh at just how. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna cry. You know, and of course, I think of of course he would see that. Of course, he would recognize that in yeah. the production of of. And that's Edigal. you know, what a great fucking only story. a decade before this. Yeah, but so Night of the Iguana, like you said, Sky, it opened on Broadway, uh, but it had Betty Davis in the cast and she played maxine as maxine mm -hmm. uh and in the movie they recast her with ava gardner uh mm -hmm. which is fine she does yeah. a good job but yeah. i feel like betty davis would have blown it she would have killed I, matter of fact he described the way he describes the character that she's got these huge eyes uh and the way that she she moves which betty davis like is like so like he's describing forever. betty davis absolutely <laughs> Um, um, this was nominated for, uh, oh, it won the Drama Critics Circle, New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play, nominated for a Tony for Best Play. Wow. Did not win. And Davis left the show after a few months because she felt like people weren't um, creating a, like a vibe on uh, in rehearsals and things. She just felt like it wasn't professional. People mm. weren't being good to each other. And... Uh, uh, according to this is a Tennessee Williams quote that she had said there was no camaraderie no sense of kinship no attitude of pulling together to make the play work and he and he offered if she had ever truly had a command of her talent on the stage she would have she had lost it by that time she wouldn't have made these complaints <laughs> Deal. so he came after <laughs> Betty Davis pretty yeah. hard oh um, yeah but she was replaced with Shelly Winters, and then uh, she Shelly Winters would have been great. In would have been great, but then I guess she's also uh, in Lolita. Davis. She's also Lolita. The, in Holy the shit, she's fantastic right. in that movie. She's fantastic. Whose name in is Charlotte? Right. Whose name is Charlotte? Weirdly, right. which what? is yeah. Um, but uh, Davis tried to get the role of Maxine in the movie, and they were just like, "Fuck you!" Didn't get <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh, shit. it was not Poor to Betty be. Davis. Yes. Um. But I, you know. I kept bringing up Lolita. There's the Sue Lyons connection. There's the uh, there's that connection as well. Uh, you know, uh, Shelley Winters. But Lolita creates a huge problem because people read it the wrong way, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they think that it's actually like a love story, or mm -hmm. it's you know something like that, where it's totally not. Right. What I like about this play is it doesn't ever. I don't think you can mistake it. You kind of are gonna hate him. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there was a production where Clive Owen, Clive yeah. Owen. And all the I heard he was quite like, good. Yeah, all the reviews are like he's so charismatic, almost to a point where you go, "Fuck, 
I'm just, I don't I, like it makes you feel icky actually almost exactly what you said CJ mm-hmm. like people were just like this feels sticky it feels icky and I think that's what he's trying to do mm-hmm. I think that's why it works I think it's why how I learned to drive works I think mm-hmm. it's why but again I would just fully take out the second act uh, <laughs> the movie is Richard Burton um, and I don't he, think he's right for that like I remember, not... I remember seeing the movie years and years and years ago. Uh, I went through a John Huston phase. And I think Turner Classic Movies did like, you know, John Huston Weekend. I'm like, I'm right. in. Maltese I'm so... Falcon. Yeah. Maltese Falcon and Treasure of Sierra Madre and African Queen. Oh, my God. When Which African Queen were... is only like a year before uh, Night of the Iguana. Like it was only yeah, like a year yeah. before that. And it's mm. a comedy and it's fun and it's great. And, and the so then he switches to like, this oh. and. It's John Huston, and you're sort of like, oh, okay, and some of the direction is interesting. There's actually a moment in it where I went, oh, shit, Mike Nichols is referencing this in The Graduate. Oh. Like, it, at oh, the, in, cool. in the bus, uh, at the beginning, it, there's a bus shot where it's them in the back, and then he pans oh, over and pans okay, over back right, and forth yeah, yeah. between people in the seats. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, but it, the movie is interesting because it starts off with Richard Burton giving the sermon that is his breakdown. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? Which I was like, oh, cool. It's like doubt or something. I was like super in. I was like, whoa, they're going to do really cool things with this. And then right away, it goes into him and Charlotte uh, making out. And you're like, oh, no. And then it does a scene with them in the pool or in the water together making out. And then Mm. it does a scene where, but it's always him going, no, no, no. I don't want this. I don't want this. And Mm. she's like, of course you do. And And then it fully shows the scene in the hotel room with them getting caught but it's not fully said that they had sex he's just in a robe and you're kind of like oh i guess they did so it it diminishes everything that i think is it's still sticky now but i feel like at the time people were watching it watching richard burton being like he's a hero he's Mm. you know he's great Mm -hmm. he's he's he doesn't want to be with her Mm-hmm. I sound like a yeah. Canadian from South Park. <laughs> South Park. Okay. Please, may I finish? Please, I'm, can I finish? I'm okay, not I'm your finished. buddy, guy. I'm not your, I'm buddy, not your guy. guy, pal. I'm not, I'm your, not your pal, guy. <laughs> but no, that's a great. That's a great point. I'm. I'm interested to go back and and rewatch the movie. I. You do, should. It's interesting. I do really want to see a production of this play because it, it's, it, it's a fucking trip, and it would be tricky as hell. I did enjoy it. Like I did find it compelling. I um I did at times. I the third act is really compelling. The first act is interesting because of all the bus stuff and you're interested in like holy shit, how did he get yeah. here? Oh, okay, cool, you know, and um and oh, and we should say it's in Puerto Vallarta. It was not a famous place until this movie. This movie made it uh, right. a, a famous right. destination. Right. It was it was a very quiet get away for a lot of yeah so it was like sort of and almost to a point where there was no uh like places to stay for tourists it wasn't even it wasn't even like that it was like a fisherman's uh wharf basically and this movie attracted so much attention because liz taylor and richard burton were starting to be they were together on this they were the super couple his agent was her last husband so there was all this controversy and they were all over the place and it and they would go to paparazzi or whoever was going to puerto vallarta and it became a destination spot after this movie and here's another bit of trivia that's a huge fucking trip uh what's his name earl ray 
James Earl Ray, the James man Earl who Ray. killed mm-hmm. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, King Jr. Mm. Yeah. He hid out in Puerto Vallarta near the set of Night <gasps> of the Iguana that was still standing. He like used <laughs> the set as his hiding place. Wow. And it's like the weirdest bit of little history, or that's like where they found him. Wow. Right? wow. So weird shit, but this place spawns a lot of crazy shit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I like it in some ways. I think I would honestly just literally rip out the second act. And I know you miss a lot of good moments there. There's the line, um, that Hannah gives that I think is probably the more it's the whole discussion they're discussing um, his his spook his ghost right uh-huh. and her blue devils and these things that haunt us which is sort of the thesis statement of this whole play right of mm-hmm. uh, the statutory mm-hmm. rape is a thing that also haunts him and uh, even though he just did it again for the third or fourth time or whatever mm-hmm. uh, but it's something that is he knows about himself that is a spook a ghost that haunts him. And she ends up saying, nothing human disgusts me unless it is unkind, violent. One of the things that he writes about was um, he thought that this play was the first play that he did that didn't have overt violence in it. Mm. There's no overt. and, and, And that he was always shocked that nobody ever brought it up. Nobody really discussed it with streetcar with cat on a hot tin roof the, the violence in his stuff i do sure. want to i did want to bring up um this the theme of being bound the confinement which is, i think is part of the loneliness idea that he's exploring that all three of those main characters uh shannon hannah and maxine are all confined they're all sort of not able to escape whether it's mentally or physically and then it peaks of course when they have him tied up in the uh, you know at the, in the hammock at the end mm-hmm. um that that was i think i think he was starting to feel uh williams tennessee williams was starting to feel that he was confined whether that was by his fame by his uh addictions Mm. Um, by his success, because it's this is the beginning of the end. Like now, now we start to go into a so, slow decline of his work. You know, you you said earlier, Bailey, that this was his last great players considered his last great. That's what it's play. considered to be, yeah. right? Um, and so I think that he's he's also dealing with that. But then I, I his overall own paranoia and his obsession with his own mental decline. It's just interesting. And, you know, I think that that's one of his great accomplishments of all of his writing is that he's, he creates these characters that you don't like, but that you understand to some degree Mm -hmm. um, by the time it's over. And that's not always an easy, it's not easy or fun. I think he, you know, in in streetcar, I think about streetcar and, and Blanche's one liners that diffuse that are so poetic or sharp or, you know, on it, the diffuse. So it's an entertainment and it's compelling to watch. I but... think cat on a, on a hot tin roof actually does that the best. Mendacity. Mm. Maybe. Mendacity. <laughs> There's a bunch of mendacity going on. <laughs> and we're going to get to the bottom of that mendacity. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to mention the one line that we loved in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. 
um, they're they're talking to the doctor about getting the meds for Big Daddy and uh, like giving him a pill that will help Big Daddy. And right before the doctor leaves, he says something about like, I wish I had a pill to get rid of people like you. <laughs> and then he left. And it is unfortunately not in the script. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. That was a re- rewrite addition. But it's also how I feel a lot of the time that I wish I could just take a pill that would delete certain types of people. Um, That'd be great. Girl. Dictators. Uh, White supremacists. Conformists. <laughs> stupid conformists. Boring people. Boring non-theater lovers. <laughs> Boy bands. Well. Okay. Just not K-pop. Just not K-pop. Um, guys, there's something that I'd really like to do if you're down for it because... Um, Bailey loves ranking shit. I love ranking shit. I don't. Bailey, just... I have been made to understand that you enjoy when things are ranked. I like some it. sort of numerical order from lowest to highest. Yes, because what it actually I realized it's a good way of charting our opinions of the evolutions of these playwrights. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like. What I end up putting first is what I is I where I feel like their peak was, and I know we're not covering their entire canon, canon or their sure. entire you know right. works, but we, we for the most part with a lot of these playwrights we at least know their other works. Um, I don't I don't so much with this one. I have read Notebook of Tregoran. I forgot to mention that one. It's, it's his oh, adaptation good? of the Seagull. It is good. It's mm-hmm. um it's interesting and it like puts the um Treplev suicide on stage and it does some like interesting things but it's uh kind of just the seagull again you're kind of just <laughs> like oh yeah it's the seagull uh but it has some interesting moments there based on a 1980 adaptation or a 1970 adaptation mm-hmm. um any or a uh, translation is what i meant um okay let's rank the living fuck out of these uh <laughs> cj you go first three iguana two streetcar and one sweet bird a ute pew, pew, pew. God, I loved that play. It was such a Great fun play. surprise that I liked it as much. So as fun! I, I yeah. loved it. Scott, what's yours? Well, I think you should go next. Mine is you... exactly the same. Yeah, mine Woo! is iguana. And honestly, like I, I didn't hate iguana. I yeah. didn't hate it. No, I, no, I, I don't. I need to read really it didn't. again. I need to it's, see the movie. Yeah, the movie's interesting. It might, it might turn you off from it, but I, huh. I, it has moments. It does, and it's, it's, it's actually quick. It was a ninety-minute movie. I feel like, um, and for a sixty-hour play. Yeah, it actually was. It kind of clipped, uh-huh. um, but I did find myself, especially right in the middle, going, "Why? I don't care about this play. What's mm-hmm. happening?" Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I'm like, when he's tied to his hammock, I'm like, "Okay, here we go." Yeah. <laughs> um, but that takes an hour in the yeah. movie and it takes two hours in the fucking play. So, um, yeah, that's my ranking. Sweet bird of youth really surprised me. Streetcar. You can't deny it. It's, right. it's streetcar. Like right. it is what it is. It, it's gonna lit. I know every, I know all the lines, you know? Um, but it's, I based purely in my, my now and my feelings about the surprise that I had from it. I agree. Siege. That's my number one. Scat. Um, Yes, um, which is why I decided to go last to correct you both. <laughs> no, no, no. I I think that we're we're actually pretty similar. I 
Iguana was number three. Um, I didn't hate it. I, I actually liked it, especially it redeemed itself in that third act for me a lot. Uh, Sweet, uh, Sweet Bird of Youth is two, and I just loved it. I just fucking loved it. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. I think that the reason that I'm going to put Streetcar at number one for me was I felt like I was rediscovering it. Like it was something mm. new yeah. for me. And I think that that Brando sort of shadow that hangs over it um, doesn't do justice to Blanche or that character of Blanche. So when I sat down and read it this time, I was like, it's, this is absolutely 100% her story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's just the language is so beautiful and sad. And I'm also really connected to, I get very nostalgic about new Orleans and uh, the vibe of new Orleans. And I think that that's in well, the bones of it. If you yeah. really loved it, you would know it's pronounced Nolens. <laughs> The only people not from New Orleans would call it Nolens. That's what oh, they say. I'm from. I should say I'm a tourist. I, I, I my um, ownership of I don't uh, portend to have you know experienced it, but I had some cool adventures in my youth. Um, so here, your youth digression. So this is one of my favorite sweet bird stories. of youth. So I lived in Florida, straight down uh, just east uh, I-10 from uh, on the I-10 from New Orleans. So what we would do in high school is that we would all tell our parents that we were going to go crash that night at so-and-so's place. I'm going to you know, go Doug's. I'm going to hang out at Doug's place. And then we would all get in and we would caravan like three or four cars. We would go to New Orleans because at the time, the idea of carting for any kind of drinking, especially in the quarter, was you just didn't do it. So we would go and you would just drink and get fucked up as possible. Then you would pass out in the car and you you would wake up at whatever, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and then just drive back. And the parents were no wiser Fuck. because we were, you know, we would. Just... You whippersnapper. I was. And... You whippersnapper. But I have, you, you know. I, I you have... little shit. I have this great fucking memory of having a hurricane in one hand and then sharing a bottle of Jack Daniels while we we all sat in front of Preservation Hall while the band jammed the fuck out until like three in the morning. It was nice. It was just great. Anyway, so so that uh, that's my uh, my thing and and, um, was knocked out by rereading Tennessee Williams. And I'm sorry that I've. You brushed him aside because of so many bad acting class scenes, watching bad mm-hmm. versions of Glass Menagerie, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, it, uh, how good he is, and how much he stands up, and how much that he his work sort of demands reexamination because he gets to the heart of humanity in a way, and to a sad part of humanity, and mental illness, and repression, and repression of sexuality and that kind of thing that I just found profound and beautiful and sad and infuriating and awesome all at the same time. Do you guys have any Cuz I have I have a dream role and that's just Mitch. I just want to play Mitch. You'd be a great <laughs> Mitch. Uh, would be a great Mitch, yeah. I'd also love to play Big Daddy, which I know we didn't read that, but I'd love to play Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. And I would also love to play Boss Finley. Ooh. 
Yeah, Boss Finley would be on there. Give me, um, give me thirty years. I'll play Boss Finley. I um, uh, I don't need as much time. <laughs> I maybe only need ten or fifteen years. But um, then I, I the the window is closing. Uh, but I would I would love to tackle Shannon. Mm. I think that 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 part is brutal and hard, and you would have to look real long and hard in a fucking mirror uh, to be able to pull it off. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah that's a tough one. Siege, what are you? I want to hear your picks. I would want to do Stella or Blanche or fucking Princess. Oh, yeah, you would. Yeah, Princess. You would. I mean, Maxine's fine. Time. Maxine's yeah. good. Maxine's good. I just, um, what's the woman's name who is the, uh, the quote unquote butch vocal teacher? Fellows. Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Fellows. Mrs. Fellows. I was like, yeah, I could. You want to play Mrs. Fellows? You could play. I, I could do oh, that. Siege well, totally could. And then, I, well, in Sweet Bird too, uh, Miss Lucy, the mistress. But oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I would much. Princess is the way better role between the two of them for sure. Yeah. I would also love to hear you tackle Hannah. I think that that. Uh. It, oh yeah, Hannah's because great. it's it's it, it feels like it's kind of an even. Yeah, she's just so nice and line. sweet. That's all. <laughs> but then, but then, when you get to that third act and she starts to reveal, she has that great herself, monologue too. Ooh, she got a couple good ones in yeah. there. Um, that it's I a just, monologue-y play about her blue nice. devils. L.A. Spotlight. Um, the big thing to report uh, in L.A. Spotlight is um, sharing the spotlight. It's an initiative um, that involves Sacred Fools Theater um, and several other theater companies in the L.A. area. It's basically just doing what it says. It's shining a spotlight on um, underrepresented voices uh, and artists in um, L.A. theater. So please check out uh, Sharing the Spotlight. You can follow them on Instagram. Check out the hashtag Sharing the Spotlight. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, in terms of other L.A. Uh, theater news, we are all crossing our fingers and hoping that quite possibly there might be, there will be a fr Hollywood Fringe Festival this year, but we're really hoping yeah. that there will be a live Hollywood Fringe Festival Here's this hoping. year. Well, and you know, they've just been announcing even just today that they're thinking people are going to be fully vaccinated by summer. There's, yeah. you know, which is exciting in LA, uh, which is exciting. So hopefully that can happen. That would be huge. And, mm -hmm. um, but until then, keep supporting anything that's streaming. Playhouse Live is a great uh, streaming service here, here, that Play, here, here. Uh, Pasadena Playhouse has and is about to add some great content and has great content already. Uh, support theaters however you can. They're still struggling, especially this is, you don't, you, you think they're starting to not struggle because things are opening back up and stuff. No, we're lumped in with concert venues. We are not able to open. We are not like a movie theater. We, it's a whole other thing. So we're dealing with a lot of that. Um, talking to the city, talking to whoever to make it happen. Yeah. We shall see, but they are hurting and, and, and look uh, back into that thing that uh, Scott was discussing as well. Sharing the spotlight. Sharing the spotlight. Couldn't remember the name. I apologize. But yeah. uh, thank you for joining us for part two and the finale of Cast on a Pod 10 Roof. He's extraordinary. He's phenomenal. I'm glad we, we revisited him um, mm -hmm. because next week we have a bon bonus episode on something that is very far from Tennessee Williams, but also, <laughs> as far as you can get. But also, kind of not. I don't know. Maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but we have another bonus episode of theater, theater and stuff. Uh, it's a CJ's pick. That's right. It is 
time for the original space opera. What is it, CJ? Star Wars. Star Wars. That's right. We're going I'm to be so talking, talking Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> we're gonna talk. We're talking about Star Wars. We recorded this a long time ago, so I don't remember fully what we talked about. We definitely relate it to theater. We, uh-huh. we get into there about it, and then we rank the Star Wars films. Yes, all Bailey of the Star loves Wars ranking yeah. shit. Yeah, so Bailey loves ranking shit. So we. <laughs> Ranked all of them. Uh, and then after that bonus episode, we are tackling our next playwright. And we have a guest for that one. So the next playwright is Lorraine Hansberry. Very yes. excited. I'm really yes. excited to get into her. Yes. Absolutely. And a lot of people only know Raisin in the Sun. But mm-hmm. we're going to be tackling three of her works. We're going to get deep into them. One of them specifically, I already know I'm choosing The Sign in Sidney Burstein's Window. It's one of my favorite plays of all time. It's so mm-hmm. good. She's a phenomenal writer that people don't ever think about uh, outside of Raisin in the Sun. And I want us to think about her more. That's not true. Yeah. People do. But outside of the theater world, they don't. Uh, mm-hmm. And our guest for that one is going to be the phenomenal, the incredible, the next level, Catherine Washington. I've always had such a crush on her, like from the moment I met her. Yeah, we're Mm. all huge uh, Catherine Washington fans. She's incredible. She does a lot of local LA theater and beyond. She was the first black woman cast as the lead in the musical once. Yes. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's fucking great. She's phenomenal. Um, she was in a production uh, at the Wallace uh, Annenberg right before COVID hit of Frankenstein with mm-hmm. a good friend, Keila Peckett, who actually I am recording an artist spotlight with this weekend and will be posting sometime soon. Uh, he's absolutely incredible and is a Pacific Islander and is one of my favorite people on this planet. Uh, speaking of that, stop AAPI hate. Here, uh, yeah. All of that shit is so fucked up it and is so fucked up and it's it's derived from a fucked up source and yes fuck that yes. and fuck and it support your friends support yeah. your friends because you know what like uh, and reach out to people reach out to people and reach out and ask them how their parents are doing and ask them how they're doing like it doesn't mean that you need to post a million things on social media yes post and get the word out mm-hmm. there but also like just check in on your friends of all races creeds everything's but especially when it is getting harder for certain races subcultures sexualities genders whatever it may be like reach out to people it's it's so bad right now y'all just have their backs just have their their backs have the text friend. message is easy. I've been getting greeting cards lately because yeah. everyone likes fun mail. There yeah. you go. Yeah, that's the best. And I, I just think it's it's a good time for all that. Anyway, close us out, Siege. <laughs> Listen, do y'all have questions or comments or suggestions or complaints? Well, if you do, we want to hear from you. So please email us. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We want to hear it all. Scott. Yes, a big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. Also, a huge shout out to Pam Quinn, who was our guest recently and uh, who has written a special episode-centric Tennessee Williams song, which you're about to hear. Uh, So enjoy that. Love you, Pam. Thank you for all you do. And finally, to the great Annie Baker for writing our podcast and for being... Annie Baker. Awesome. Annie <laughs> she writes all of our ums and uhs. It's perfect. All of it. It's fucking great. Uh, and um, we're going to buy you a beer next time you're in Hollywood, Annie Baker. You just don't know it yet. That's right. <laughs> so please go rate, subscribe, review. It really does help us. We really like reviews and we will read them. If you write a review, we'll read them on the podcast. We'll do it. I promise. Yes. Anyway, 
We love you, nerds. As always, mouths and butts are the same thing. Peace. As always. There is a castle <laughs> cloud. I like to go there when I pee. All right. Oh, here we go. All right. All right. It's not allowed here in my castle. Oh, no. You can't go that level. I'm a tenor. I'm a tenor.